But we're going to continue on transformation today. And I'm going to read John 16, verse 25. Jesus, say Jesus. How many would agree he's the Son of God? That he is truth, everything he says is truth, is from the mind of God. There's no confusion, no line in what he says. It's all truth. You can put it in the bank, and a thousand years from now, a million years from now, a billion years from now, the words of Jesus will still be truth. Can you say amen to that? So let's read verse 25. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Now remember, at this point, the disciples are not born again yet. They're still Old Testament saints serving God. They're not born again yet because Jesus has not been glorified. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. But the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. So Jesus says, right now, in your condition, I have to speak to you in figurative language. But the time is coming where I'll speak to you plainly about the Father. And when is that time? It says in the next verse, in, the, in that day. So in that day is not when heaven comes or the trumpet sounds. In that day is the day that you become a child of God. The day that you're born again, I'll be able to speak to you the same things I, I've been wanting to tell you, but you've been not able to understand it. So the difference wasn't in Jesus. The difference was not in the Holy Spirit between when he could talk to him as Old Testament saints versus as born-again believers, when he could talk to them. So something changed in them, amen? That something changed in them that allowed them to understand and comprehend the things that Jesus couldn't tell them before they were saved. But after they were saved, now they could understand the things of God. Now they could understand it before they couldn't. Now let's go over to Second Corinthians. Chapter 3, uh, verse 13, chapter 3, 2 Corinthians. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. And we taught that a few weeks ago, that the veil was there so they wouldn't see God. God did not want them to see him in the Old Testament. He wanted to wait until they could They were supposed to see Jesus in the Old Testament. They weren't supposed to, God did not want them to experience his glory and look at his glory because that was not the goal. The goal was not to give them a path to serve God their whole life in the old covenant. The old covenant was there to bring Jesus, and that was it. And so he hid his face because the veil was hidden, hiding what was passing away. He didn't want to see him that way. It's like a, when you were a young lady and you, you were going on your first date to the prom date, we'll say. And in uh, your your date shows up thirty minutes early, and your dad knocks on your door. Your date's here. Come on out. And your hair's all messed up. Your makeup's not on. Your dress's not right. You're not. Hold on. I'm, keep them downstairs. Don't. Let, I'm not coming out yet until I'm ready to show myself the way I want to show myself. Well, what that's saying is God cannot show Himself to men until they were born again. He didn't want you to us to see him in the old covenant. And a veil was a veil was put over Moses so they could not see 
that passing glory. But the mind, their minds, verse 14, their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. So even until today, an unsaved person, when they read the Old Testament, there's a veil that doesn't allow them to see Christ in the Old Testament. They can see God, but it's not the way God wants you to see him. God's goal was always for you to see him as a father. But the veil is taken away. This is important. The veil is taken away where? In Christ. In Christ, salvation took away the veil. So now you can see clearly who God is. The difference isn't that God changed. It's that something in you changed when you were born again. You say, good preaching, Alan. So verse 15. But even to this day, when Moses is read, the veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when, you, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So in your salvation, the veil that has stopped you from understanding God is taken away. So salvation, that new nature, removes a veil. That you can now understand God where before you were saved, you could not understand the things of God. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I love this. Pastor Dave taught this. This is not talking about an exciting service where you get excited and emotional and say, yeah, the Spirit of the Lord is here. Shout. It means that when the nature of Christ comes in you, you're liberated from the old covenant. You're liberated from having to obey God through the old covenant, find God through the old covenant, because now he is your father. Verse 18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding in a mirror. See, the now, because you're born again, there's no veil that now you can comprehend and understand God and know God because a new nature removed a veil, salvation removed a veil that stopped you from understanding God. But we all with unveiled face, beholding in the mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. We're being uh, metamorphosized into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So you have a new nature. Let's pause there. Hold your finger there. And let's go over to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 10, just so we, we stay on course here. And we have put on the new man, which is renewed. So the new man is not talking about your new nature. Because the new man is being renewed. Verse 10, we have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge according to the image. Whenever you see the word image, that means new nature. The new nature is like a seed and inside that seed is an image of Jesus in his fullness. Jesus in complete holiness, in love, joy, peace. All of Jesus is an image inside a seed. But like any seed, it has to grow. And what grows from that seed is the exact image that's inside of it. So here it says the new man, which is renewed in knowledge. So 
the part of you which is new is renewed in knowledge. Now, all throughout the epistles from Paul, you'll hear, put away the old man, put on the new man. Take off the old man, put away the old man, put on the new man. We know it's not talking about the new nature versus the old nature, because you don't have two natures at one time. You don't have an old nature and a new nature that are fighting, right? Because it's impossible. You have a you had an old nature of sin, but it was quickened into a new nature. Now you have a new nature. You never at one moment had an old nature and a new nature. So we know, now know here that the new man is renewed in knowledge according to the image. So you have a new nature and there's an image in there. And according to that image, the knowledge is able to go somewhere where it couldn't go before. Well, why couldn't go there before? Because you had an old sinful nature and your inner man was dark and your outward man was dark. But praise God, the moment you were born again, the inner man was brought to light by the new nature. But it's like a little child in knowledge. All the knowledge you had before was erased from darkness because it came from darkness. So now your inner man is like a little child. When someone, uh, say, an older man gets born again and the next day dies in a car wreck, praise God he's in heaven. But he's not crawling around heaven like a little newborn baby. I was 83 when I was on earth. Now I'm just a little baby crawling around. What it means is the knowledge that you hold is like an infant because you have to renew, rebuild that knowledge from light now. There's an image in you by the new nature, but now you must take that image and have it grow up inside of your inner man. And then as the new man grows in knowledge, you can put it over top of the old man and live from the knowledge of the inner man instead of the knowledge of the outward man. I hope I'm making sense here. Let's go back here to 2 Corinthians now. Well, hold on. Let's go to uh, Ephesians chapter 4. So whenever you see the old man, it's not talking about the old nature because you don't have an old nature. Now, your natural man, your outward body, was influenced by the old nature and was not rescued or quickened because that's coming when the trumpet sounds. Well, why didn't God just fix me when I got born again? Well, you'll have to ask him that. Uh, I'm sure there's a million legal reasons why. Probably because he'd have to take you to heaven. You'd be no good on this earth. But I'm sure there's a million legal reasons why he had to wait until the trumpet sounds before you receive your eternal body. But until then, it is called your, your outward man. is called your old man. So the old man is not the old nature. The old man is the outward body influenced by the old nature, saturated with sin and darkness, because that's what it had in it. This I say, verse 17, chapter 4. We're going to go back to Second Corinthians. But this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the vanity or futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. So you see their heart is still blind. The veil is still there because they're not born again. 
And he's telling the church, don't act like them. Don't walk like them because you're not like them. You don't longer have a veil. Quit acting like you don't know or you can't know. Grow up is what he's saying. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Verse 19. Who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. You can underline this if you like to underline. You have not so, what's the word? Learned. In the King James, is it learned? You have not so learned Christ. See, before you were saved, you could not learn Christ. But now you can. Well, what changed? Did God, Jesus just become a better teacher? And this is powerful because, well, let's read verse 21. If indeed you have learned him, you have been taught by who? To say him? As the truth is in Jesus. Now, how many of these Ephesians met Jesus? How many walked around with him as the disciples did and said, Oh, I, I, I was the... I was the hidden guy, and I was the guy who brought the food to Jesus, and I got to sit and overhear him teach. So they learned from Jesus after Jesus had gone. They never met the man, Jesus. So here it says they've actually learned from Jesus. Do you know how powerful this is? This means that there is an ability for us to learn. Number one, now we can learn because our new man is brought to life And the veil is taken away. We can now learn who we are in Christ from Jesus himself. If you ever want to have an argument for praying in tongues, there's a good one right there. Too much of the church is being busy trying to do good things in the name of God. They're not spending enough time learning from Jesus who they are. Verse 22. That you put off concerning your formal conduct, the old man, which grows... See, they still have an old man, but they don't have an old nature. That's your outward body. That's your outward, if I can say, brain, emotions, and desires. That you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind... Now, again, where do we learn from Colossians? The renewing process is in your inner man. It's in your new man. It's not in your natural man. And that you put off the new man, put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So I want you to see here that the new man is your inner man. The inner man was brought to life by the new nature. And our job is to fill that, new, that inner man, the spiritual body, the inner man, with the knowledge of God. Because the outward man cannot contain, understand the outward man. Remember Pastor Dave's story with, uh, oh, what was the guy from, from uh, Taxi? And he was doing his driver's test and he was a little bit drugged out all the time and, or damaged by drugs, I guess, and and all his friends were helping him, helping him, and he's taking his test, and he leaned over and said, I think, what does the yellow sign mean? What does the, what does the yellow light mean? And they said, slow down. And he said, 
what does the yellow light mean? And they said, slow down. What does... See, this is how God had to talk to your outward man before you were saved. Because the difference was you had a different nature. You were a different species. I can teach my dog to sit. I can teach my dog to obey. But I cannot teach my dog to understand because we are of a different species. See, before you were saved, you were a different species than God was. You had a different nature. But when you received a new nature, it brought to life your inner man, making your inner body, your inner mind, brain, inner emotions, inner desires, alive like God. It will stay alive and righteous with you as long as you're saved the rest of eternity. One day in the very end, we know that God will give us a new body. And in the very end, we'll be standing on the new earth and he'll have completely transformed us, body, soul, and spirit. We used to be one species, body, soul, and spirit. Now we're a completely different species of light, body, soul, and spirit. In other words, when you got born again, God didn't just take you from the, the worm family and say, okay, worm family, welcome to being a Christ. What's your name? I'm Billy. Hey, Billy, you're about to be my child. So then he takes Billy and he says, now, I'm going to take Billy and I'm going to squish Billy. And then Billy's gone. But it's okay because I have an eagle egg because now you're born of the eagle family. So I'm going to write Billy's name on an egg and say, this is now Billy. So he didn't just take your name and put it on a different creature. He found a way to protect you and help you while you were with him, transform around you a new inner man and a new outward man. So in eternity, you'll be completely light. But unfortunately, the outward man doesn't change until the trumpet sounds. So the outward man you had before you were saved is still there. It didn't change. It wasn't resurrected. It wasn't fixed. It's still there, and it's causing you trouble today. That's the old man. Verse 24, or verse 23 and 24. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Your inner body was brought to life by the new nature in true righteousness and holiness. That means that you now have the ability to learn Christ the way he always wanted to teach you. Because now your inner man, your inner brain has the ability to know the truth of God. But how many of us, when we got saved, could quote Isaiah? Praise God, I, was, I never read the Bible, but now that I'm born again, ask me a verse, any verse. Go ahead, give it to me, I'll spout it out. Because I have been downloaded the wisdom of God, the knowledge of God. I know everything. How many know that didn't happen? Just ask your wife or your husband and we'll tell you, no. Now I'm back over in Second Corinthians. See, it's so important that we understand this because then you now know that you have a new man, an inner man that is alive and lit up by the nature of God. The transformation is not taking the way my natural man thinks and making it understand God. It may look like that, 
But if, you, if that's the way you just consider that I now understand God, I took my thinking and I chose to accept the word of God as true. Well, that's the beginning of faith, but that's not the end of faith. See, your natural man can obey, but it can never understand because it doesn't have the ability. It's made of meat. It's not made of the things of God. It was brought into existence in darkness. But there is part of you that now can contain and hold the very treasures of God. Think of, just think, you, you can understand a truth of God. How powerful is that? That's how a revelation is so much more powerful than, well, I just understood now. I understand. I got a truth. No, you got a piece of God running around in your spiritual brain nugget of truth that is from eternity, from the mind of God, and it's in you. And from that knowledge that you rebuilt in your inner man, you looked over to the thoughts of the outward man and said, you are dumb as a rock. You're a meathead dummy. I don't accept that. What you said was truth. I don't accept it anymore. That was a mortification. That was a powerful transformation that happened in you that wasn't just oh i get it no something amazing happened you're thinking like god thinks you are you're thinking like god thinks i don't care how your family or your school teacher said you were dumb now you're thinking like god thinks you're smarter than all of them put together chapter three second corinthians verse 18 But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror. So now we're looking inside. The glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. Where's that image? It is in the new nature. So that image is what we're being transformed into. I used to say I'm maturing my new nature. But now I say I'm maturing. I would even define as I'm maturing my inner man to the new nature. The image is already in me, but I must mature into that image. And maturing is not just feeling, we'll see here, that maturing in the Spirit, growing in the Spirit, is not just learning about Christ, it's also enforcing that knowledge into your outward man, making it submit to it and bow down to it and die to the old thinking. Thank God for Pastor Dave. And I'm just saying that because... I never knew any of this. All I knew was he said, if you pray in tongues a lot, it'll change you. And I had tried everything else. Every other preacher told me, get in the prayer line. We'll anoint you with oil and, and we'll break the yoke and, and we'll cast out demons. And I had people cast devils out of me and nothing happened. But you sit there and come out. And I was always afraid that I'd get in prayer line and wake up on the floor and people let, stand it over me and say, come out, you know. But nothing ever came out. But they cast it, tried casting out devils. They tried anointing oil, uh, anointing of the service, the glory. I cried out to God. And I didn't understand. I tried everything else. So I decided I'm going to try this praying in tongues. And I started, started praying in tongues regularly. In fact, when I ran the Bible college, I had a little bit of authority to where I would open up the school at 6 a.m. And someone came to me and said, will you help me? I said, I'll meet you at 6 in the morning. We were walkers back then. We walked and prayed. So we had... Loud. I had one young man, oh, you're over the music. So he had like 
Christian rock and roll going. And we'd be getting the beat, walking fast, drinking our coffee. Another man was, another one was responsible to make the coffee every morning. And we would walk around and pray for two hours. The school would start at eight. And then I had the whole school pray from eight till nine. And we just pray in tongues, pray in tongues. I didn't know exactly what was going on. I didn't feel it. I didn't feel, oh, wow, something changed. I didn't know it. But it, I can't tell you how many things, wrong roads, wrong thinking I was rescued from because I had learned from Christ without realizing it, the truth of who I was. And I could, I could take credit. Oh, I'm so strong. I, I'm, I chose truth. No, I was dumb as a rock. I had no idea what was truth. I, I followed this guy, and then the next week I'd follow this guy, and then next week I'd follow that guy, going back and forth, trying to find a way to walk in the things of God. But the whole time that I prayed in tongues, he was taking truth from Christ himself, the truth of God, and installing it into my inner man. And that truth was protecting me from accepting a lie as being okay. Whereas my outer man would get excited, but my inner man was like, oh, maybe you've done that. You've prayed enough. You go to a service and everyone's shouting and hollering and running around and you're sitting there. What's wrong with me? Man, all this prayer is messing me up. They told me if I pray in tongues, I'd just get crazy. I get it now because I'm sitting here and everyone's running around. It's because your inner man's going, do you understand there's whole denominations built around preaching from the outward knowledge about God to your outward man, getting your emotions excited, getting you thinking things are changing, but they're not. Thank God for praying in the Holy Ghost. So you're not crazy. The fact that you didn't run around to get excited was because you're learning to obey the inner man instead of the outward man. There's people who, who I know personally who I dislike, if I can say nicely, who are musicians who lead worship. And I've dealt with them where they were controlling, manipulative. They would fight their way to get on stage. They would show up at conferences and lie. There's people actually show up at a conference, a Pastor Dave's and Norval's, Norval was crazy because he was single. And so we had women who would follow him around from conference to conference. And they had booked the hotel room across from his room. And my job was to keep those women away from Brother Norval. And they would keep showing up and showing up. Well, with Pastor Dave, people would show up and say, Pastor Dave asked me to come and, and lead worship for his service. And I go ask Pastor Dave, and he said, no, I, I know them, and, and, but no, I didn't ask them to come. See, what they were trying to do is sneak onto the stage under Dave's authority. And they would sneak on sometimes. And I've been there, and their service was, <sighs> and I've been in crowds where they get up, they finagled their way to get up and play. And I think, oh, here it comes. Now, I've seen them manipulate. I've seen them, I mean, be mean. And I, ne- I disliked them. And I made it my purpose as a leader. If they ever show up where I'm at, I bar the door. But they would sneak in in other places where I didn't have the authority to bar the door. And they would get up and they would start to sing. And I think, watch this. Tell my friend, watch this. It's going to fall flat because it's all carnal. 
And they start to sing, and half the church would go, oh. And the other half of the church would go, oh, praise God, it feels so good. Finally, finally something great. Oh, yes. And see, that showed me that there are people who know how to serve God through the carnal man, feel God through the carnal man, pursue God through the carnal man, and do not get it. Anyways, I'm going off tangent here. Verse 18. But we all with unveiled face, the veil has been taken off. So there was a veil before you were saved, but now you're saved. There's no veil. This is talking about your new man was brought to life and and made righteous by the inner, the new nature. But we all with unveiled face, beholding in the mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. From glory to glory means the growth that happens to you when you spend time taking the knowledge of Jesus and putting it into your inner man. From glory to glory. Therefore, say therefore. Since we have this ministry, what's the ministry that we have? Since we have this ministry, we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. You want the ministry you have the moment you're saved? It's not to go win the lost, not to go pray for the sick. It's not to go feed the poor. Those are all good things. But that's not your ministry. Your number one ministry is to focus on this transformation. This is our ministry. Look here. We do not lose heart. What is it? What is the ministry that we don't lose heart? It is taking the inner man and renewing it to the knowledge of Christ. Because now your inner man, the new man, can understand the things of God. And then we take the new man and we put him over the old man. And we live out of the new man instead of out of the old man. Now there are people who will preach that you just have to choose to walk in God. Just choose it. Well, what you're choosing is to let your outward man try to please God. And will always fail. Therefore, we have this ministry As we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Now hold that thought and come over to chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. You see that? He's talking about the same subject. We don't lose heart. And what is he talking about? Even though our outward man is perishing, our inward man is being renewed day by day. So we don't lose heart in this ministry of renewing the inner man and causing the outward man to perish. Verse 1, chapter 4. Therefore, since we have this ministry, we have received mercy. We do not lose heart. But we've renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commanding ourselves every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if this gospel, our gospel, so our gospel is veiled. Even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, which is the image of God, should shine on them. But we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. I can't tell you how this verse is just messing me up. We do not preach ourselves. See, what he's saying here is, we don't preach what I, I in the natural know about God. How many know Paul knew lots of the scripture? 
I don't preach what I knew because what he learned before he was saved, he did not understand until after he was saved. The Holy Ghost had to teach him the truth of all that he learned. That's why I'd never be impressed with someone who can memorize Scripture. Because I've heard people quote Scripture from their, their brain, but slaughter it, with, put it in the wrong place. We don't preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. What's he saying here? I don't offer you as a minister. The moment I share something, advice, opinion about God. Now, I can give you advice on exercise. You know, us, us, us larger people who drink Diet Coke, we always have advice on how to lose weight, what the best diet is. I can give you advice on that. I can give you advice on... <laughs> I get the girls laughing all the time. I can give you advice on what car to buy. I can give you advice like that. But the moment I start to give you advice about serving God, about following God, about knowing God, I become a preacher, a minister of God. And Paul says here, I don't, we don't preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ. In other words, I went into Jesus and I learned something from him and got it from him. It's in me now and I'm going to teach you what he taught me. I'm not going to teach you Alan's wisdom. I'm going to teach you the love of Alan. See, when you get born again, they harness you right away and say, hey, I want you to quit taking the love that you have and using it on yourself. I want you to take your love and focus it on serving God. Let's go feed the poor. And so we all go feed the poor in our natural love because that's all we have. Our inner man is still like a little baby. It has not, doesn't understand the love of God. So we, in our natural love, say, hey, I, I choose to love you in the name of Jesus. If I had $100 here or $101, and my limit of being robbed was a hundred bucks. And I put it on here and, and someone came and stole my dollar. So I forgive you. And the next hour they come back and they steal another dollar. I forgive you in Jesus' name. Then they come back and I start seeing them walk this way. And I move my hundred dollars, my $98, $99 over to the other side of the table. And they come over and they take another dollar. I forgive you in Jesus' name. And then they come back. I see them come. I put it under my Bible. And they come out. They take another dollar and another dollar. Up to $99, $100, I say, I forgive you. But 101 that's it. I'm done forgiving you. I'm going to smack you in the mouth next time you come and try to take my last dollar. See, the love of Alan can be broken. The love of Alan has a limit. But the love of Christ has no limit. I'm not saying to let, just let people steal from you, but I'm saying you do what's best for them. We do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your bondservant, Chrissy and I, on our, I was preaching in Lake Havasu, Arizona, and we were flying home, and the nearest airplane was Las Vegas. I say that so you don't think we were just hanging around Las Vegas. And so... Because it was our first year anniversary, our friends bought us a certificate for a fancy restaurant. The guy's name was Emeril Lagasse. He's the real deal. And he had a restaurant in Las Vegas. So we made a point of going early so we could have dinner before our flight at this famous chef's restaurant. I was embarrassed afterwards because they kept bringing me little Cokes. You know, I'm, I'm used to the restaurant where... They, they got a big fat Coke, and they just keep it full all the time. And I sat there, and they brought me a little, would you like to drink a Coke? They brought me a little, 
little tiny glass of Coke and filled it up, like a little tiny glass. And I, and they kept asking me, would you like another? Yeah, like, come on, fill it up, let's go. I mean, even, even the, the regular places that we go to, they know to keep your, re- your full. Every mes- Mexican restaurant I go to, they just fill it up without asking. What kind of place is this? I have to keep reminding them, fill it up. Well, at the end, I found out they, it wasn't free refill. It was like four bucks per little tiny glass. Like, I spent more on my drinks than the meal, I think. And, and the food was so good. I remember, even today, I can remember the banana cream pie that he made. It was so ridiculously delicious. Now you're all hungry. I'm sorry about that. Well, here, think about this. We've not preached ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. And ourselves, your bond servants or slaves. So Paul's saying here, you're to look at us like a slave for you, for Christ. You're to look at us like the waiter who brings you the food. Yeah, you can throw us a tip and say thank you, but we're just serving you Jesus. But what many people are doing, because we're taught so quickly once we're born again, to go win the world, is they're serving the world their love. They're serving the world their compassion. They're serving the world their joy. They're serving the world their thoughts. It's like if I went to that fancy restaurant, all excited to eat something that Emerald Lagasse made. I think, what did he take the salt and go, bam. Okay, he was the original salt guy, bam. And we went there, and the waiter came up to us and said, you know, I'm glad you're here. Looks around and says, I, I got a deal for you. What's that? I'm a up-and-coming chef. I've been learning from Pinterest how to cook meals. <laughs> I use a lot of cream of mushroom soup, canned in my meals. <laughs> Sorry, poking fun at my wife because I always tell her, where do you get this recipe? Pinterest. I'm like, that's some lady just like you who just puts stuff together. Go find a real recipe from, <laughs> from a chef. I, and the waiter comes up and says, I've been learning on Pinterest how to cook meals. And so he brings us his meal instead of Emerald Lagasse's. See, that's what the church is doing. We're not looked at as bond servants. That's why we have celebrity preachers, because we give them the glory and the credit, the popularity. We're to be looked at as the servants. And what are we serving? We're serving Jesus in fullness, his love, his joy. Where did he get that from? From him. He cooked it. He made the recipe. See, I cannot choose. Let me say this again. I cannot choose to love like Jesus loved. I can try. And that's the first start. The first beginning is to choose to accept everything else as not being true. But I can't just choose to love you like God loves you, until I go get that love and become that love. And then you're going to taste the love of Jesus and not the love of me. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservant for Jesus' sake. For it is God who commanded light to shine. So when you see light shine, that is you being born again. God took your old nature of darkness And it's the same miracle power that it took for him to take the sun and make it exist out of darkness, out of nothing. Bink. 
He looked into you when you accepted Jesus. He gave you the faith to accept Jesus. And when you accepted Jesus, light shined out of that dark nature and he turned it into light. I do like to say that he took out the old nature and put in a new nature so you know they're different. But reality is he took the old nature and quickened it. He turned it from dark to light. For it's God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts. So the shining in our hearts is the inner man. So now that lightness is shining in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You're not going to find the ability to understand God in the old covenant unsaved in the face of Moses. So he wants you to find it in the face of Jesus Christ. Now that you're born again, you can now understand the knowledge of Christ. But it doesn't come automatically. You have to go and take that knowledge. If you want to know where to find, the best way to find the knowledge of God is from the Holy Spirit, the teacher of truth, the spirit of truth. But we have this treasure. And the word treasure there is, a better word is treasure chest. We have a, it's like a vault, something that can contain precious things. We now have, because the veil has been taken away, now that we're born again, we now have a spiritual mind that is alive, is an empty treasure chest. It has the capacity to contain the absolute truth of God and hold on to the absolute love of God and become part of you. But it's empty. It must be renewed in the knowledge of God from God himself. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. So inside of this earthen vessel is another vessel, a spiritual vessel, that has the ability to understand and hold the things of God, that the the excellence of power may be of God and not of us. I'm going to keep going because I'll just get stuck on that again. Let's quit preaching, telling people to get busy doing the things of God. How are you going to preach about the king when you don't even know the king? We are hard-pressed on every side. Now, remember, he says we have this ministry of transformation. Don't lose heart. Now he's telling you about the transformation process. Of we, take, we have the image of Christ in us, and God teaches us through praying in tongues, through worship, through reading the word. The Holy Ghost begins to teach us, and the image of Christ begins to come forward inside of us now, our new man, our inner man. And then we take what has grown in the inner man, and we over put it over the outward man. Now I no longer think like I used to. I no longer love like I used to. I no longer have joy like I used to. We have many preachers telling you to have joy. You got to have the joy of the Lord. And I love making fun of the, the services where they say, you got to give. God loves a cheerful giver. And people would be taught. I mean, you should see the, some of the guys were so amazing. They would leave with, uh, one week it was uh, hundred and. $80,000 offering from a small group. And that's small compared to some of the guys, how much money they can take from people. It's okay. We can be mean here about charlatans. And you got to give joyfully. And people walking up to the altar, they give away their mortgage money and their food money, and they're walking up to the altar trying to be joyful. You need to laugh when you come and give your offering. <laughs> trying to be joyful in the Lord well if it was the joy of the Lord you'd be joyful 
How many of us have had giver's remorse after a service? We got so excited, we gave away all the stuff, and the next day we're like, um, I don't know if that was God or not. Pastor Dave said he had a, someone gave him $10,000. He preached this, so I can tell it. He told his wife, I want to give this to this preacher. And he was all excited to give it to the preacher. And Rosalie said, well, no, you're just doing that to butter up to him to make him like you. You're just giving it to that preacher to make him accept you. No, I'm not, woman. I am not. God told me to give it to him. And Rosalie said, okay, here's what you're going to do. If you're going to give it to him, then you're going to set it up to where you have to give it to someone else who will give it to someone else who will give it to him. He'll never know that you gave it to him. And Dave said, I woke up the next morning and I bought myself some tools that I always wanted. (laughs) See, you can't just choose the joy of the Lord. You can't just choose the peace of the Lord. Because if the peace of the Lord is in you, nothing can shake it. The devil can't shake it. Circumstances can't shake it. So where do I find the peace of the Lord? You go into the cocoon and transform into it. And then once it's in there, you're unshakable. No matter what the circumstances look like. You have the joy of the Lord. Even God tells you to give all your money away to Alan Taylor Ministries.org to get your hundredfold return. You'll do it joyfully. Quit pouting. That's not the joy of the Lord. We're hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. He's talking about the fight here between the inner man and the outward man. He's talking about the warfare the enemy has brought against him in his ministry because he's serving God. Persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus might also be manifested in our body. So he's not, when he talks about mortifying the body, he's not meaning you take a knife out and you cut yourself and you harm yourself. And we don't hate our body. We are to mortify not the body itself. In Brazil, they have a a rodeo. They call it the biggest rodeo in the world. I fight with them because us Canadians think it's in Calgary, the stampede. But they have a little town that has a huge rodeo. And they have a statue of a bull. The name of the bull, I found out, is Bandit. And the bull is famous because it lived its whole life. It was never ridden one time. You know those little skinny guys, all muscle, would get on a bull, like a, a was it 1,500-pound bull, and they would tie things around its leg to make it uncomfortable, and they'd release it, and that bull would try to buck them off. You ever see those bull riders? And no one could ever ride this bull. He was famous. They called him the bandit. And I watched a video of this, this bull. It was so mean. He was one guy he couldn't buck off. So this bull actually, I seen it, would, it would jump in the air and fall on his back and squish the rider to get him off his back. He was mean and nasty and beat all the, beat them all. So this is what it means when it talks about this here. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. Or I'll read verse 10. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life of Jesus also might be manifested in our body. That doesn't mean that our body becomes glorified. That doesn't happen until the trumpet sounds. What it means is our body becomes a useful vessel for the kingdom of God because I've mortified it, and now it will obey and do the things of God. And because of that, then I can become a minister to you. 
I no longer have Alan's love to give you because I've taken the love of Christ that's grown in my inner man and I've taken over the love of Alan. And now I give you Jesus instead of Alan. I become the waiter instead of the cook. That's a good title. Become a waiter instead of the cook. Always caring about in the body of the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life of Christ, of Jesus, also may be manifested in our body. That we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. So for me to be a waiter, I must have death working in me first. I'm killing off Alan so I can be a waiter and serve you, Christ. So this, this bull bandit was a nasty bull. They couldn't ride it. So let's say on bandit's retirement, all the little bull riders got together. And, you know, they're all bandaged up and bruised up. And they have a, a self-help group they go to now. And they get together and they raise enough money to buy bandit. Normally they put band, like bulls like bandit out to pasture. So they retire nice and easy and, and get to mate to make other little mean bulls. And this group says, no, we're going to stick at the bandit. He tried to kill us. We're going to kill him. So they get together. They raise enough money and they buy bandit and they take him away. And they say, you're not going to retirement, sucker. You're going to the table. And they take Bandit, the bull that, that tried to kill him, and they slaughter him. And they happily carve him up into steaks. And the next day they have a barbecue. In Brazil, the word is churrasco. And they have a beautiful barbecue eating Bandit. Well, there on the plate is Bandit. But look at him. He's not trying to fight me. He's not trying to kill me. He's a piece of meat. I took the personality of bandit and I killed it. I mortified it. I took the meanness. I took the personality, the fight. I took it and I killed it. So now all that's left is a piece of meat. A piece of meat that doesn't fight, that doesn't try to kill me. It doesn't want to take the knife, jump on me and push me around. It's dead. That is the process of mortification. That's the difference between transformation and change. I can choose to take the love of Alan and use it for you and give God the glory. But the love of Alan has a limit. I'll love you, but I won't love you. The love of Alan has a limit. I must mortify that, take the personality of Alan, the personality of my body, and kill it. So then my body is a useful vessel for the things of God. It's not talking about my fingers and my toes. It's talking about my brain, my emotions, my thoughts, my emotions. Transformation isn't just changing the way I think. It's mortifying the way I think of the natural man by the inner man who learned from God the image of God come forth. For we who live, verse 11, are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. That's the miracle. That's the miracle of transformation, that the life of Jesus inside this treasure, inside this earthen vessel is another vessel, a treasure thing, a, vessel, a treasure chest that can hold the love, hold the wisdom of God. And with that, I mortify the natural man. And so I become the servant of Christ to you, not the cook who is giving you my own recipe of love. Well, that's preaching good idea. Keep doing that. That's a good one. I'm saying that because I'm just getting this as I'm preaching. 
And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, I spoke, and there, and we also speak, believe, and therefore speak. Here he talks about how Jesus was in hell and spoke to God, and that's how God resurrected him from death to life. Well, that's what you did. You were resurrected from death to life. Knowing that he who has raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and, be present, and will present us with you. Talking about when the trumpet sounds. For all things are for your sakes, that grace has spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Don't lose focus. Don't lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, or in other epistles, the old man is perishing. Remember the contrast. If there's a contrast... It's always the same thing. They say you can't compare apples to oranges. So you can't, you can't say, I ate an apple, it was good, I ate an orange. You say, I ate a green apple, a red apple. They have like 30 different types of apples. And this is my favorite, apple to apple. So the comparison between outward body and inward body is not your natural flesh and the new nature. Because that would be like comparing apples to jet airplanes. They don't compare. So when there's a contrast here. He's talking about two different things, either an apple to an apple or in the same category, an apple to an orange, fruit to fruit. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and internal weight of glory. While we do not look at things which are seen, but things which are not seen. The things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Look at your body. Look at your fingers right now. That's temporary. Inside of that earthen vessel is another vessel that's invisible, and it's eternal. And you're going to live forever. When someone is born again, and their natural body falls off of them, and they go to heaven, what are they walking around in heaven as? Their eternal body, their inner man is eternal. They're going to walk around heaven until the trumpet sounds, naked without a natural body, until the trumpet sounds, and God will give them a new outward body made of a different material that will be as light and righteous as their new nature is. Until then, they're walking around with their inner man, not with their outward man. When someone is not born again, and their natural body falls off of them. We, we assume, because they're not born again, where do they go? You can say it. H-E double hockey sticks. What are they in hell? What do they look like? What are they walking around in? Or what are they chained up in? They are in their spiritual body. See, your inner body is eternal. It's what allows you to last forever. I don't believe those who are in hell, who have not accepted Jesus, well, I can prove it in Scripture, they will not receive a new outward body. When the trumpet sounds, the new nature is what has authorized that you have a new outward body. It's already been paid for. Your complete transformation has already been paid for. Whether you work on it now or you just be lazy and get saved and that's all you do, you still go to heaven. You're still going to get a good outward. You won't get a second-class outward body. Hey, you didn't go to the prayer center. You didn't pray in tongues. 
you get the skinny body. <laughs> you know, us prayer-centered people, when we go to heaven and the trumpet sounds, we're going to get like real buff bodies. We walk around with us men with muscles, tall. I'm going to gain six inches and, and 400 pounds of just straight muscle. I'll be a giant. Urgh. And you can tell the people who didn't pray at the prayer center or didn't go to the prayer center because it would be little skinny, tiny little um, Don Knotts, little skinny little bodies like... I know, I can tell you didn't get the good body because you didn't spend time growing in God. No, we all get the same outward body. But those who are not saved, they don't ever get a new outward body. They're trapped in hell and the lake of fire for eternity. But they're still there because they have an inward body too, but it's not been brought to life by the new nature. Transform. Let's become waiters and not chefs. Let's quit serving the world and our family Let's quit serving them our love, our joy, our wisdom. As much as we can quote the Bible, this has bothered me for a long time. I'm seeing why now. Where put on Facebook, I'm having a hard day. Please pray for me. And you'll have some people say, we love you. We're here for you. We're praying for you. Some people put a little heart. Some put a little face with a kiss on it. And then you'll have probably half the people will quote a scripture saying that you have the peace of God. We've learned to be great at quoting scripture, but then just leaving it at the door. Oh, you're having a hard day. Here's the scripture. See you later. Well, what we're supposed to do as ministers is be able to say, listen, let me help you. Let me serve you some of Jesus. Let me not just talk about him. Let me not just quote you the scripture about him, but I actually went to him, spent time with him, in worship, spend time with the Holy Ghost in praying in tongues. And I got a piece of God in me, and now I can give it to you. That's the way we become waiters and not chefs. Amen. I'm going to release you. We'll see you at 10 o'clock.